What was that? What do you want to talk about? We were talking about Sanya. We could go into that. Let's talk about Sanya. Tell me about your Sanya that you've got going. Or your thoughts on so, Sanya as well. Uh, I guess it's going to go in the direction that, you know, the, 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 the Western uh, landscape of sort of the, the triple gem that exists now, as I've gotten it from Domrado, is that we've got like a zero out of 10 for the Buddha because there's no Buddhas here. There's like a maybe two, three out of 10 for the Dhamma because the Dhamma is just really poorly translated um, into English. And then for the Sangha, you know, with regard to the Westerners, that's a, that's a really another really low number because uh, I guess you look at outside of the, the, the watt, the like 300 watts that exist, um, which, you know, is, is populated with, I guess, Easterners, you know, in terms of Americans, that's like not a thing. So the, the, the Western song is, is, uh, maybe limited to a couple of, uh, groups in Seattle practicing what they were able to gra- gather and, uh, through, through poor English translations. So I, I was talking to Eric and I was like, and, you know, we, he came here and I had been practicing, you know, for quite some time. Um, and just him coming here and starting to practice with Eric being here and that, you know, you have somebody else who is doing the same thing that you're doing and, you know, kind of having the same goal, kind of have that, that, that guilt by association effect that Don Rado likes to talk about. Um, and you start practicing even more. And you both start getting really enthusiastic about the Dhamma. You both start to sort of, uh, like, like, I call it a Dhamma den, but that, that kind of does make sense. I mean, think about, like, a drug den. What happens in a drug den? Everybody, it's like a, it's like a consistent descent into degeneracy, right? And so sure. this has kind of been a bubbling up or a consistent ascent into uh, Dhamma dudum or whatever you want to call it, into into, you know practice and it, it's not only that now we have this sangha here but also both of us you know are are quite aware of what the noble dhamma is um as you've been taught it by you know damrado and so I, I i told eric i said you know what in terms of the triple gem i think this might be we have one of the few noble noble triple gems one of the few triple gems in the West, from a Western perspective, that we've got the Noble Dhamma, you know, and we've got our Buddha, you know, and that we're talking to communicating with Dhammato and things like that. And so we've got two guys, two guys practicing the Noble Dhamma here with this, this thing happening. And, and not only that, and then now we say, okay, we've got this triple gem in concept, but all of a sudden the practice itself and the enthusiasm and the attitude and the, uh, all the fruits of the practice start becoming really, really apparent, uh, just by having a Dom dude come live on my couch. I mean, what an incredible, <laughs> what an incredible, uh, outcome that is. So that, that's my saga. <laughs> that's what, that's why it kind of started to inspire me to appreciate Dom Rado's, uh, Armado's aspiration, I guess, or interest in uh, the open sangha 
collective or foundation. I can't remember which one they're wanting to call it now. But, uh, you know, so so basically to, to be able to bring that to, to, you know, bring that to other people um, and sort of grow it and, and have, you know, more 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 people involved. So, yeah. Cool. So the goal is to start a commune in Oregon. Well, <laughs> I, I actually, you know, I think that that's been done before <laughs> many make- times and then it, and then it kind of turns into uh, more of a what's the capitalist version of a commune, you know, and, and people will become, you know, first first you start to become like an organizer and you start to, you know, become like a, a you're, first you were a teacher, then you become an organizer and you become a landlord, then you become like an owner of, you know, you, you know, now you're running things. It's like you start taking on these different roles. Whereas, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like we have 300 watts, 300 watts in, uh, in America already. So from that perspective, it's like, why, why rebuild the, the wheel by doing that? Why, why go through the trouble of that when there's already all these watts? The infrastructure is already available. And you don't have to take on all the additional hats and 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 uh, let's just say risk all the selfishness that can possibly arise by doing such a thing. Have you seen a Wild Wild Country on Netflix? No, you guys I've never watch- heard of it before though, but I haven't seen it. You guys should watch it. We should talk about it for a podcast episode. Um, so Osho, this uh, also known as Rajneesh, this uh, great teacher you know, from from India, you know, kind of a great teacher, you know, great intellectual, you know, he wrote a lot of really interesting stuff, including stuff about the Dhamma. Um, And he was very kind of, he was very knowledgeable at many different religions and spiritualities. And he went and started his own commune and it became kind of a disaster. Although he wasn't really managing it, his organizers managing it. And he just was in silence the entire time and not talking to anyone. (laughs) And, but he was there. And so it's quite an interesting situation. I recommend checking it out. Um, but anyway, um, and it'd be a fun episode for us for sure. But anyway, you know, you know, one issue with organized communities, spiritual communities, or song of any kind is is personality, you know, conflict, right? Which can happen in any situation, including a lot, you know, which Eric can testify to. You know, like it's it's not you know, all sunshine and rainbows with the Watts either. Although sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's both. You know, it's amazing sometimes and sometimes not. Sometimes you're nuts, sometimes you're not. Samarada would say, right? Well, you're going to so, have all you know, types of mixes of people in that in that Watt, right? You are, but, you know, a couple of things. One is, you know, one thing that keeps the Watts going and keeps them from just degenerating is they have you know, the, the, they have the Dhamma, right? You know, they have the scriptures and the rules and that kind of a thing. And well, that can lead to the attachment to the rules and the rituals, you know, because it's grounded in this very ancient thing with all of these traditions for thousands of years, that kind of keeps it going. And that I think is the difference between say a church, right? I mean, churches tend to continue on and on for a long time versus kind of a commune sort of situation. Those tend to just fall apart, right? So why do churches not fall apart? Uh, excuse me, and whereas communes do fall apart? That's an interesting question. I think it has to do with the longevity of the tradition, the things the tradition created to perpetuate itself, right? But one thing I like about what you guys are doing is it's just two people, right? 
you know, like if you have a small amount of people, the chances of there being some big, some conflict or alienation or that kind of thing go down. So I almost like the idea of like micro sanghas because you guys don't, you guys have a micro sangha, you know, it's like a little one of two people. And um, I think that is going to be, generally speaking, more harmonious, especially because you're both practicing the Noble Dhamma than a large one with many different opportunities for dissonance. So, yeah, I think the micro song is kind of... Yeah, I mean, well, I I think it's all about seclusion. So how secluded can you get secluded in the Wat with a bunch of ordinary Buddhists in there who don't actually know the Noble Dhamma anyways? Can you do that? Don Rado did that for quite some time, maybe, you know, I would say, and Eric has done that at the Watt too. So that's maybe one of the things to think about. But yeah, I mean, all you really do need is that one, like Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about, Kaliametta, right? All, all, you, all you really do need is that, and that's a, that's probably good enough. So I, I agree with you that, you know, the small, small setting's good, but also at the same time, uh, the, the, what, I think what you're referencing is kind of solved with the idea of seclusion, that you can be amongst a bunch of people uh, that perhaps, you know, are more about bowing and scraping on a daily basis. And you and I both know that has nothing to do with the Dhamma, with the noble right. Dhamma. So, um, you know, you, you, you can kind of make a decision on, on how secluded or unsecluded you want to remain from, from that type of thing while you're at the Y and then still take advantage of room and board, food, all those other things that, uh, you kind of is kind of the purpose of the Watt of the purpose of the open song is is not only to to get you in touch with the other potential nobles but also uh, a, a kind of a lifestyle change opportunity where you're uh, able to if all you want to do is be satisfied go ahead and practice being satisfied you could go ahead and have the, the chance to do that. So yeah. I, yeah, I think like Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa had a lot to do with Swan Mok being a good environment, right? Because, you know, one thing uh, Damarado said once that was quite cool is at Swan Mok, everyone kind of had their own thing going on. You know, like there was one guy that, that had memorized the entire Pali canon and could chant like any Suda anytime he wanted in the Pali. You know, there was another guy, you know, I've been there, right? You know, there was another guy that was great at talking about you know, um, you know, the Dom in Europe is European, right? He had a whole interesting, you know, British European perspective, you know, Dom is his perspective, you know, John Poe's, and there's different creative takes you can have on it. And I think probably Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was good at like cultivating, you know, monks to be talented and also practicing nobly, right? But I think if the, and Eric and I actually talked about this when we hung out last night. I think if the head teacher is not noble, the, the chances are much lower that the rest of the sangha will be, right? So um, the leader sets the tone, generally speaking. And so, um, yeah. and the way in which the leader is chosen isn't always like the cleanest process in any organization, right? And so, um, so that really matters, I think. And I think the sangha environment generally- Well, becomes- matters to who? Matters to the sort of, uh, maybe the, the, the guys who were there prior well, I mean, because what what are we exactly talking about? Like a song in general, like that exists that sorry, a Watt in general that exists out there right now? Or are we talking about like us who already are talking to Domrado? Or are you talking about new guys that come in that never make any contact with Domrado and just happen to go into a Watt and you don't know whether or not the, the, 
the the leader or whatever the abbot is a noble so yeah i agree with you in that case if the abbot's not you know hip to the real teaching of the buddha then and and you just have some random guy come in doesn't know anything about buddhism yeah he's kind of fucked he is so, <laughs> i totally agree with that yeah but yeah but this guy go eric go into to one of these watts and he's he, fine he he can uh he can either go and uh, spread some some dhamma to the to the abbot, or um, keep his mouth shut and 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 plaster a smile on his face. Yeah, I mean the abbot probably wouldn't listen because he has an ego, right? <laughs> if he's not practicing nobly, you know. So, you know, so it's well, an issue. Because uh, if he was know, practicing, people, people people can you you can you can uh, you know talk to people over time and start to make a change you know even if they're pretty rigid you kind can't. of like kind of kind of kind of like that video you saw of my sister you know yeah yeah i showed some i was talking to her i mean if we could make any progress with her no no it's then, true then I, abbot, <laughs> yeah easy work well actually the abbot might be even harder because he has his own rigid ideas of what buddhism is right and so he might think you're not teaching it but if you're there for a long enough time you know, you can maybe make an influence. But the thing with the influence is it can be extremely subtle, right? You know, like he might not even know it, you might not even know it, but it's like happening and maybe in a year it'll be apparent, right? <laughs> you know, and like I find this, like say, you know, with my parents or people like that, you know, where they don't really accept the Dhamma per se, but they do really like how I'm behaving so so they kind of take from that which is all about behavior they don't, they don't need to accept that Dom, <laughs> whether they accept they don't, they don't. <laughs> but, but yeah. the distance you know this is one of the eightfold noble paths right is like right effort which has to do with enthusiasm right and if you have enthusiasm like you and eric both clearly have a lot and i have a lot too you know it makes it easier to just progress and you go a lot faster than if you don't have that and you know it's interesting because in the 10 fetters one of the fetters is conceit, right? That's like the top one. And the abbot might have a lot of conceit and it's just stopping him. Well, enthusiasm and fetters, first off, enthusiasm is a skill to be developed. So nobody's, I didn't start with enthusiasm. Eric didn't start, you didn't start with enthusiasm. So it's all, it's, it's all in the same bucket of, you know, let's start putting in some drops of joy in here. You know, let's start, wetten this thing up a bit and you see a result uh, and kind of like a kind of like a dry a really dry sponge that's just been sitting on the windowsill and it's hard like a rock it's basically useless at that point but you start pouring some water on it and next thing you know it's back to being a sponge again that's yeah and so like you said it, it could be a subtle long time period thing but um you know, slow, slow and easy, if that's what it takes, and that's what it takes. I mean, at the end of the day, in terms of the Sangha that, that you know, we're, we're looking at establishing, like, this open Sangha thing, um, that, that would just be a positive side effect. You know, if you do have a guy like Eric go in to a Watt and he ends up making a drastic change on the Abbott, it's really just a, po it's just a nice side effect. But at the end of the day, at least you had Eric go in and he had the opportunity to, like I said, have all those perks and practice correctly and all those and all that stuff. So, right. Which I is think that's like the, the, focus, the primary, the, the, the primary focus. And then whether or not we uh, happen to, you know, make a couple of other nobles along the way is would be a, a nice uh, side quest. <laughs>
<laughs> yes. Well, it's actually hilarious too, because you would think people would be going to the Watts to get the Noble Dhamma, not to bring the Noble Dhamma into the Watt. <laughs> so it, it kind of should be the yeah. other way around, ideally. But well, in Eric's case, it's not that. Everybody way. starts out magically, and so you know, <laughs> and I don't. And Eric, Eric's mentioned to me that you know he's been to about four Watts in total i think and at least one of them he found that was pretty noble and i think four is a pretty small sample size so who knows what the real landscape is out there um that that that's something that we have to investigate like we're in chicago now uh, eric brought his car down so we could travel a bit and uh check out some of these watts i think that's on the that's on the itinerary um so we'll we'll be doing that sometime soon yeah, that's great. You guys should. I mean, how is it like, uh, how is it, so you're still going to work, right? Uh, I've been kind of on and off. Like I had a month, a whole month off of work. Um, and then Eric came like right when I was starting work again. I wish, I kind of wish he had came like immediately. I mean, that would have been ideal. But um, anyways, we, you know, I had like a week of work and then I, um, because of all, like Christmas and all that other stuff, like these guys don't really don't really work during the holidays like that all that much. So I've just oh, been chilling. Uh, after that first week, I've just been chilling, basically um, hanging out pretty well. So I go back on Monday. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I'm curious, like, how does you know your time in Sangha with Eric? How does that kind of meld with your time at work? Like, how does that? How's that? How does how's that chemical reaction? What's it like? Well, one of the things that inspired me to, to like reach out to Eric in the first place was that I had a conversation with Don Rado like a while back and we were talking about just kind of generally speaking here, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to the guilt by association idea, right? <laughs> if I'm spending 50% of my time at work and then 50% of my time at the bar, you know, it's just like, okay, that's what's going to be on my mind. If I'm spending 75% of my time at work and then 25% of my time at home, then when I go home, I'm spending a lot of mind moments. I'm spending a lot of thinking uh, about what was going on at work. Is right. kind of what what you what you see happen. And so let's imagine it was you know most of your time spent at the Y, and then right. a small portion of your time spent at home. When you go home, you start thinking about the Y. So the idea that I got was generally that okay, well, you spend most of your time or some of your time at work. And then when you come home, if you're just at home, then, you know, it's a lot of opportunity to think about work. But if you have, a, if you're coming home to a Watt effectively, or I'm coming home to a Dama dude, then now I've got something to start to tip the scales. I've got something to start, start to sure, tip that sure. balance a bit. Uh, of course, a bit of but of course but how is it feeding into your work you know is it like now you're more peaceful at work you're happier at work than you were before like what's kind of the effect wherever i this? go i'm more peaceful more happy doesn't matter where great <laughs> if i can remember <laughs> yeah if I can remember you know so remembering is one I'm, of the if that's i'm the key getting skill. pulled over by the cops that i don't drive but if i can remember i think that we could have a, a positive happy peaceful attitude that's great. And, and I'm curious, have you and Eric had any conflicts at all? I would imagine no, but I, I'm, I'm just curious. Have we had any conflicts? 
I don't think so. Yeah, I could. It's hard to imagine. I don't think we've had any conflicts now. That's great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Things have been yeah. things have been good. Wonderful. Things have been. That's what I, I just sat down the other day. I just sat down and just told Eric, "Wow, things are good." <laughs> <laughs> things. I, what a feeling that things are good. It's kind of a rare. I think that's a rare thing in our society. In yeah, yeah, no, totally. yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting, right? Because everything has its portions, right? So, you know, every human being is a collection of wholesome and unwholesome, right? You know, so there's always good times that can be found, you know, with anyone, right? And with some, there's going to be more than with others, or the good times are going to be more intense. As Dharmana says, we're the sum total of all the lies and ill will and gossip that we've ever experienced in our lives. That's the whole of who we are. That's our personality. Well, That's who we are. <laughs> yeah, I, but, but also the wholesome, too, right? When we so, remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. And some people by accident. And Eric you know, remembers a lot. <laughs> so yeah, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. He, he's dialed in. But no, I mean, some people are natural. I mean, all of us have natural, wholesome qualities, right? And the question is, do we cultivate those or not? And remembering allows us to cultivate those qualities. Whereas before, you don't even know how to cultivate them. You just are friendly sometimes. You are warm. You are funny sometimes. But you're not cultivating it. You know, you go from being just a, bu a bunch of weeds with some flowers in them to like a nice garden, you know. <laughs> you know, still with flowers, but more nice ones than before, you know, and maybe even a few weeds every now and then. <laughs> so you got to remember to pluck them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the beauty of Sangha is like, you know, I find this with, with Sandra, you know, is like we reflect to each other, you know, our inner states, right? So, so, you know, if you have an unwholesome, the other person will often reflect that back to you. Whereas if you have wholesome, they will reflect that back to you as well. And so I've even found like one little like cheat code as far as creating wholesome goes is let's say I'm feeling like a little grumpy or something for some reason. I, I just tell Sandra I love her, you know, and then she's happy and then she makes me happier. And it's like you can just use the other person to or use is the wrong word, but <laughs> you can. <laughs> cultivate the other person so that they inspire wholesome in you, you know, as well. And that's really beautiful to do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I can think of, uh, I can think of a time not too long ago when, you know, maybe I was thinking about having thoughts, you know, that that's putting me into, into not such a great state. And then Eric's like, you know what, let's go and do, you know, do X, Y, or Z. And kind of just start talking about the Dhamma and we, you know, there you go. We, we lift each other up. So there that openness, go. being open and, uh, you know, and then, and then having that person there who also knows the real deal when it comes to uh, our state of mind and, and, and how we can kind of control things and, and, and bring things up and, and gladden things up. It's highly valuable. The, the song is, uh, you know, I've come to, to learn how, how valuable that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, you guys are totally, you know, it's great that you guys have that. So I'm curious, like, how long is Eric going to be there for? Just 
<laughs> just however. Who knows? <laughs> A year, two years. Who knows? <laughs> nice. Keep it up. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm yeah. curious, are there any suttas that kind of inform this? Like, are there places where the Buddha talks about this? Uh, I'm sure there are, but I'm, where, where the yeah, Buddha talks about. Well, I guess we 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 spent the most of the beginning of this talking about the triple gem and I'm guessing that comes from a suit of somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's that. Um, I'm guessing that the Buddha talks about Kali Metta or is that a Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa thing? I'm guessing if it's coming from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa that Buddha talks about it at some point. Um, so maybe that could be something to investigate on where that's found in the suttas, if you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any any suttas that that you think I, I, talk I about guilt by association and and just that general kind of idea? You know, I've heard like you're the sum total of the five people you hang out with, that kind of thing. You know, hang yeah. out at the bar, become a barfly. Hang out at the wat, become a dama dude. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I don't know what suttas. I'm curious about the Kali Meta. Is that what it's called? I, yeah, I think so. Can you expand on that? I haven't heard heard about that before. I think it just means I've heard it to mean like spiritual friend. Oh, got it. Huh. I think that that is you know what Domrado's ultimate. That's like the fruit of a relationship with Domrado. It's right. not the teacher one up one down relationship, but a friendship. Yeah, and a friendship with someone who knows the noble Dhamma better than you do. Right. Um, that has more skill than you, you know. So being, I guess, you know, like if you're just you're a pianist and you're best friends with the with the, you know, a really accomplished uh, savant or whatever that is, that that's like that relationship, and you're, you get that skill development. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I remember reading a, a book a while back where it talked about the difference between the um, the guru-disciple relationship and the spiritual friend uh, relationship. And the guru-disciple is much more rigid and regimented where you get instructions from the guru to act in a certain way, do certain things, you pay respect to the guru, you honor the guru, this kind of a thing. Whereas the spiritual friend is exactly what you just said, someone that it's not one up, one down, it's just like we're just relating and sharing stuff with each other, you know, and because it's in the spiritual context, it's, it's going to turn into better self-development, you know, better development, you know, as a Dhamma dude or as a human being, right? Or well, do that. it's also a direct Dhamma practice because the whole Dhamma is friendship anyways. Exactly. So you're practicing together, you know, it's like uh, jamming with a band, you know. Well, that's but, one of the ways to get into jhana like we talked about. It's to talk right. about the Dhamma between the, the, the student and the teacher, the, the Kalimata and the teacher and the student, or the friend, the two friends. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing, and I think it's very, um, you know, essential to the development of the Dhamma, because you also, you not only learn things from your friend, but you figure things out for yourself and your articulation of your ideas to your friend. You know, and that's also one reason I like to journal. You know, one thing that's fun about journaling is 
I could go down there with like a mess of thoughts and I just put them in order. You know, the way I think about it is it's like my thoughts are like clothes in the dryer and they're just going around and around and around, wholesome or unwholesome. And language, verbalization, you know, or writing is like taking the thoughts out and folding them up and putting them on the shelf. <laughs> you know, and, and you can also better distinguish during that process what is wholesome versus unwholesome. And when you're having a conversation with a fellow Dhamma dude, it's, it's like that. But also, if you are a Dhamma dude, you're having a conversation with yourself in a journal, you're also doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just you're checking your own work. You know, that's the only difference. And it's you can do it without the journal, but the journal can be a fun tool. Too. I have a little book here that I wrote something in a couple days ago, and I thought it was the most jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring idea. And I haven't looked at it since. I should probably open that back up and take a look again. But, yeah, uh, yeah like every other day, if not every day, I'll wake up and, and come to Eric about some grand new perspective or way of seeing the Dhamma. Because there's just so many ways you could slice it up and look at the same exact thing from different angles. And I think the real value in any of that is more so than the specific idea. Because I think that sometimes we might get caught up in what the specific idea was. But the idea that we're going back to it over and over again is just another, if it's another idea related to Sati, at least we're talking about Sati again and again and again. And that's where we start to get more repetition in. And repetition is how we start to make music of our lives. That's how we start to let this Dhamma thing start to sing, you know? Sure. Wait, would you like to hear one of my insights from the other day? Came up in my journal. All right. All right. So... The Sotopan has responsibility without guilt. <laughs> so, so, you know, Damarado says the Sotopan has come to understand that no matter what, they can always clean their mind out, right? That's what it means to be Sotopan. You know, no matter what, you don't need anything. He has responsibility with enthusiasm. How about that? Yes, with enthusiasm. <laughs> And without guilt, because in the West... Guilt's unwholesome. We, it is unwholesome, very unwholesome. Soda ponds don't dwell in unwholesome very often. No, no. And in the West, you know, we have this whole idea that with guilt comes... With responsibility comes guilt, you know. And so if you're like a priest, you know, or something along those lines, you must have like some amount of guilt if you do anything wrong or any of your responsibilities ever don't go your way. You know, and so you have this aspiration of perfection and that underneath that expert expectation is a lot of guilt for not being able to do it. You know, and so I was talking with Don Morato about this the other night and he said, yeah, like his like they call it stream entry. He calls it stream floating. You know, you're just floating along <laughs> peacefully, <laughs> you know, because you don't have any guilt dragging you down if you don't. You know, if you don't practice correctly and you see this so often with new practitioners where, where they'll say, oh, I didn't meditate right. I did it wrong or I forgot to meditate. I'm such a bad person because I didn't meditate right, you know, and that's totally the wrong attitude, you know, and that's very Christian, too. It's very Western. 
Yeah, you know what yeah. this reminds me of? What? Uh, Bikubuda Das has this really interesting choice of words to describe this. What I think your 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 sentence was, or or to uh, adjacently at least, which is duty to the Dhamma. When you think about it, like duty to something, it kind of sounds like you can almost say like chores. It kind of right. sounds like a thing to do, like a job to do, like a work, you know. But when you really do understand the duty to the Dhamma. And then you start to see success and gain confidence, enthusiasm with regard to the Dhamma. Then the duty to the Dhamma becomes the greatest thing. It's what you wake up. <laughs> it's what you wake up. Right. It's what you wake up to do. You can't wait to wake up. You know, but the whole point is waking up and just loving it and just being amazing. <laughs> you know, it basically becomes you know this great uh, energy, this great enthusiasm. That's where the uh, where right effort, where ordinary right effort. That beginner's right effort of, oh no, I got to meditate or whatever. Or I'm gonna, or I'm gonna, maybe not even that, but uh, I gotta take. It's gotta take some work. It's gotta take some a bit of a struggle, a bit of a effort to get that thought out the mind, whatever it is. And then that switches over into, oh hell yeah, like I, I can do this. This is easy. Boom, like I've got this energy, this autumn, like this uh, this moment, this inertia, this momentum build up, this confidence, this this shraddha that builds up. And now this res- this this responsibility is no longer with guilt. It's no longer, oh, I, I should be meditating. Or I'm a bad person if I don't meditate. Or I missed the meditation session today or something like that. Now it's like, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Who's going to stop me? I'm freaking amazing at it. Look how great I feel. <laughs> like it, the whole attitude changes. It's turned on its head effectively. So, right. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that's, it. That's exactly your, your, your insight was so spot on that. That's yeah. The soda bond who knows that he can clean his mind out, you know, no yeah, matter what. He's not feeling bad, even he's if he misses a day. And that's the other one of the fetters is purity, right? Which is everything has to be pure all the time. That's one of the uh, fetters, I believe attachment to purity. And you have to let that go too. And so it's very ironic then because part of being a dom- perfect Dhamma dude is knowing what, what that, does that you mean, by the way? purity, like everything is perfect all the time. Okay. You know, so everything needs to be perfect all the time. But that has to go. That's one of the obstacles, you know, is that notion. So the very ironic thing then becomes... Is it, is it just being, perfect or is it even like... Um, is it, does it, is it directly related to perfection, like that word? Or is it generally like, I have to like it all the time? Um, you know, I think those are related, right? So purity means, so I think well, it doesn't perfection is like having a standard that you can't hit. Right. And purity is more like that. You know, it's kind of like if you looked at, like, there's a meme I saw once that said a perfectly pure pond will have no water, no fish in it. You know, there's not going to be any fish in a perfectly pure pond In a pure pond. There will be no fish. Pure water will have no fish. Right. You know, and so. Things that are pure, there's not really nothing that's pure, right? But people get attached to p- the notion of purity, where it's like, okay, if I'm not a perfect Dhamma dude, 100 percent of the time, then I don't, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not the best enough, you know. It's actually it's funny. I wrote Sandra a poem today, and one of my lines, and and you know, Sandra was raised Catholic, so sometimes I bring God into it, you know, and I said. You know, if God didn't want to create a perfect world, 
why should we want to be perfect at all? <laughs> right? And, and if you take the God part out, it's the same, it's a great message, which is like, if the world isn't quote unquote perfect, you know, why should we care about perfection? Yeah. You know, you know, if Don or nature isn't completely perfect, why should we expect complete perfection? What we need is just good enough. You well, know, you know good what? enough is, yeah. I started to realize something. And I think that this is where, again, since this is related to soda pond, I could kind of see where this is going. Um, that the soda pond doesn't really spend more than a certain amount of mind moments. Uh, a certain maybe, you know, one, one of the magical ways they put it, I guess, could be like the soda pond will say maybe 10 or seven bad words in an argument. <laughs> or he'll say, you know, have, have seven, seven uh, unwholesome thoughts before he wakes up. And so the, the whole uh, getting over the purity thing, I would say, probably has to do with the skill that the soda pond has to come into the point of seeing that, oh, here is anger, here is tension, here's a bit of desire, and that's okay too. Right. Once he says, once he says that's okay too, he's already started making the first steps towards his escape because that's okay too has already changed the mind from anger, from, you know, fear, from uh, tension to, to sabai sabai, to ease, to everything's okay, <laughs> no worries. And so he doesn't spend that many mind moments in, 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 in the other stuff because that becomes okay too. And then this is okay too. And that's also okay. And things are becoming really okay and nice right now. And I feel nice and safe. I feel good. Wow, that feels really good right now. Wow, that feels really nice right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh. Well, then here's one of the great ironies. You know, oh, Rocky. Nope. Um, so then here's one of the, they got a tennis ball there playing over. And so, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it all wholesome with these guys here. <laughs> but but um, here's one of the great ironies then, you know, which is that part of being the perfect soda pond is realizing that there is no such thing as a perfect soda pond. <laughs> so you can't be the perfect soda pond until you accept that there is no perfection. So it's, it's a paradox, you know, but it totally doesn't have to be one. It's only a paradox if you think about it too much. If you just think about it the right amount, it's actually not a paradox. But if you start questioning the logic of this, you know, it, it's it's not like... Uh, well, if you just practice correctly, I think it solves itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just, if it's, this it's tension is okay, too. Hello, darkness, my old friend. This is okay, my old friend. And making friends with right. everything then things become friendly again. And there you go. You're a perfect soda pot <laughs> or a perfect, whatever the hell you want to call it. There you go. Cause it doesn't need to be a mathematical proof all of the time. It can be that way a lot of the time, which is part of the appeal to be honest is how logical it all is. But there are some things that are just an experience, you know, and ultimately the Dhamma is grounded in experience, right? It's not grounded in intellectual theories, you know, the way that Christianity is, where you have to accept this whole theology in order to accept it based on a transcendent idea of a god or a creator or whatnot, right? And a Christ figure and all these stories, etc. But the Buddha says, hey, try this for yourself. See if it works. Let me know. 
you know, that's a focus well, perfect on theory, the perfect quote-unquote imaginary perfect soda pond knows that things are permanent anyways. So. Right. <laughs> he knows things are going to be in turmoil. And well, this, uh, would, this would actually be a good question for Domerato. Is is the state of being a soda pond also impermanent? Could they regress into not being a soda pond, which then would go af- against the definition of soda pond, which says they're on the stream now, they're going to get enlightened at some point right is that state itself is that is that the definition that go you, away? is that is that is that uh clearly stated correctly translated in the sutras that that's the case so i don't know because I, I don't think that i don't I, i've never heard from Domrado that there's some you know diploma that you get that says hey look you're <laughs> you you you're you're on you're you're you got it and you're gonna go but once you do know that you have it, then you know that you have it and you know you got it and you're good to go. I don't know. That's that's the way yeah, I see generally it. Generally speaking, you know, and how it's been phrased is that Otopon knows they can always clean their mind up. It's kind of like always. Like, like if you look at the way it's phrased. He knows that no matter like, what, like, he can clean his mind out. Yeah. All right. So once you hit Sotopon, Is it possible die. to forget that you can clean your mind out? I, well, yeah, sure. if, you have, if you have dementia you know, or Alzheimer's, or you hit your head, like, those are obvious ways. But think about it. Or, too, you're, like, or you're asleep. Like, but the, the soda pond has enough, the, the idea is that the soda pond has enough skill that he's remembering often enough. He's repeating yeah. that sati often enough that forgetting that becomes highly unlikely. That It's just, it's kind of like asking, like, can a skilled musician screw up a piece? I feel like that's almost what you're saying, basically. Is it possible for him to make a mistake? In a sense, but does it really does it really matter? Does it really matter? He still he can still walk into any bar and swoon any girl over the piano. You know what I mean? Like he could still still has that skill. Right. So the question almost is kind of you know. But anyways, you well, can ask him out of that. <laughs> well, it would be fun to ask him because I think the idea is over a certain span of time. They will always clean their mind out, right? And so the way they talk about the different stages, so it's the the, the stream enterer means they only have seven lifetimes left, right? It just doesn't sound then, correct. Sound, I feel like it makes then, more sense if you just think about it from a well, skill perspective, that you have... Well, I think you're right, but I'm it. also just looking at the language that's been translated. So seven lives for the stream Those enterer. translations are really... Okay, allow <laughs> me to finish, please. Allow <laughs> me to finish, thank you. I appreciate it. Then three lives for the next level. Then one life for the, I think it's Sakagami, then Anagami. I forget yeah, the name. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, then, and then the final one, our hot, is, in, is they're, they're done. You know, they've made it. Hold on, i got to help Bowie here. Come here, Bowie. Come here, Bowie. Um, and so the idea, see, there you go, some Dama right there, some friendship. Uh, but, but the idea is like, is like you're on this path, but once you hit Sotopan, you will never leave the path. That's the point. It's seven lives or less. You know, that's the way it's phrased. So that means you're now on that path and you're not going to get off it. Now, that's what I'd like to ask Damarado about is could you still leave that path? And I would love to hear what he has to say about that because the, the way it's worded, it's like, nope, seven lifetimes or less and then you're done. You know, that's the way it's worded. So it would be interesting to see if maybe that's a magical artifact, right? Do you think you could ever you know, become a bad writer? 
Um, I mean, I feel like no, but I feel like if I had Alzheimer's or dementia, I would. But <laughs> but I don't think maybe I that's the answer yeah. to the question. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Even if I tried, you know. Well, let's say you just stop writing for the remainder of your lifetime up until maybe you know right before you had dementia. How good are your writing skills at that point? I think they would still be pretty good because they're like really ingrained. You know, it's kind of like seeing an old friend, right? Right. Like that's what's that's what's going upon, upon, right? That's a, that's right. the skill development that we're talking yes. about. You become your own old friend. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Well, that would be enough. Yeah. Yeah, you become your own old friend, right? You know, where, um, you know, every time you take a look at yourself, it's, oh, it's good to see you. You know, wholesome, unwholesome, whatever. You know, and maybe that's another way of thinking about Sotopan is learning how to become an old friend with yourself. That's the whole, that's the whole Dhamma, not just Sotopan. <laughs> that's the whole right. Dhamma. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I would like to hear Domerato break down the different categories He's, the, he's done it with me before. He basically gave me a lot of the analogies and a lot of the things that I'm saying about, uh, about, so the soda pond is like, you know, kind of at the level where you can clean your mind out maybe within seven minutes or seven words or whatever it is that you've developed the skill that you're good enough. You're good enough at this thing. And you know that you're good enough at this thing that, yeah. you know, you can do it, you know, within reason. You're not going to play right. around in the in the city dump for too long, you know. Um, right. And then Sodagami is next, and that's where it comes down to, you know, even 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 quicker exit from 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 the trash bin. Um, and then I think with uh, Anna, and actually at that point, it no longer I think at that point it no longer becomes sort of like you're, you're no longer going to end up externally showing this off, like you know, th those words, but perhaps they'll go off in your head. You know, you'll have them go off in your, in your mind. Um, and you, but before you just wake up quick enough. And then the next one is that you just wake up even faster. Maybe there's anagami and now it's maybe just one or two, like you, like you get a needle, if you get a needle, if you get the, the, the shot, you get the shot right. and maybe there could be the thought, ouch. But then right. after that, you you're like, okay, never mind. Like I woke up out of that. I've got enough skill, and I'm fast enough to throw that out the mind, right? And then so then you know, Damada was giving using this example with uh, hard drives that his daughter had spilled um, stuff, coffee all over one of his hard drives, and so he was saying that the soda soda pond maybe would have said a couple of words or whatever, maybe gotten angry, even it gotten angry for a, a brief period of time, verbally. Mm. The sodagami maybe wouldn't would have taken it out of the verbal space, but probably would have gotten angry like in his head a little bit for a little while. The anagami might have had just you know a, a piece or two before he brought it back into being wholesome, and then the arahant just doesn't even give a damn about hard drives. He just doesn't really conceptualize things like that. So oh. that's that's where the way that he had. Uh, I could send you the video that we went over it. Yeah, that would be great. I would love to see that. Yeah, and you know, yeah, we, yeah. we jokingly confirm my arhat shit because the actual definition of arhat is just someone who's worthy of gifts. So I made the joke that, oh, yeah, I know a ton of arhats. I've gotten gifts almost every single Christmas of my life. Uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> you know?
you know, Eric just gave my doorman a gift. He's an Arahant too. So um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, and I think I know Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about wisdom at the point of contact. Yes, sir. Right? Which is, which is that, that's the end game, is that. You know, that's the Arhat. Is point of contact, wisdom. You know, and I think we all have moments that are like that. You know, uh, where. I mean, look, just, dude, I, I think this is funny because it's like you don't become. You become when you when when you become a quote unquote Buddha, you became a Buddha because you've been practicing being a Buddha. So when you right. figure out how to do point of contact, it's because you've been doing it over and over again. That's the whole practice. Right. Yeah. Right. And the better the more you do it, the better you get at just point of contact wisdom. You know, where you can be in a park and someone yells at the dog, and you just got a smile on your face. No problem here. Let's go, puppy. You know. Um, but you know, if you're not at that, but you can have that moment, but then 10 minutes later, something else happens that you're not quite, you don't quite have the wisdom at the point of contact yet for, you know, like maybe your card has declined and you don't have any other money then you'll feel bad. And then you, you, yeah, you were, you were, you made it all the way into one of the hell realms. Even you went all the way down to the 12 steps of Petit Samapada. But right. the thing is that you know the score now, and you know that that's where I'm at. And I can say, oh, look at that. I'm over in uh, Upadana. Let's go ahead and let's go back home. Let's go back to uh, some wholesome thoughts. Go back to Salyatana and some good Salyatana and get some nice point of contact going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of it involves, like, deconditioning to some extent, right? Like, there's this notion that you know we have to talk about everything <laughs> if, if there is a problem and we don't you know and um and it's funny because um sandra and i just went through this uh, uh uh recently and um and i was like you know let's talk about this thing he's like no we don't need to talk about it and, and i kind of want to talk and she's like no no and she's right <laughs> you know you just be wholesome you know and sometimes like like for me, like I want to fully get into this place of wisdom that is fully laid out, you know, through talking. And that's not always necessary. And so it is interesting to me how wisdom, because sometimes talking is great, you know, and other times you should just go straight into the wholesome. And meet, although if you, if you can do that, why talk, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of well, interesting how. I, I would say, yeah. you know, to start. Goenka said it best, never mind, start again. Or rather, right. rather, never mind, start again. Like that. That's what he said. But with that, we can get ourselves into a good state. And right. now the things that we talk about are wholesome things and, and will be more wise. So yeah. maybe you guys don't have to talk about it right now, but you know you could get yourself into a good state, and then it's good to talk, good to go. I could talk up a storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. You can talk about it later when we're both feeling better about everything. <laughs> you know, and and I think it is good to. That's a fully sorry. That's understand. that's the thing I was thinking about because I, I was going to try and tie in um, when I was saying because I mentioned uh, knowing the score. That when you know how the mind works, you know Patita right. Sambada, and you know kind of that progression of, of 
of selfishness. Um, you know the terrain, you know the territory. You know, mm. it's not a it's not a huge surprise where you can just be lost in it. Darmada used the example of uh, music, and when I say score, I mean quite literally like the musical score, right? Like the notes that are on the the sheet. And Darmada used the example of going cave ex- like cave diving. Or not even maybe not even cave down, but cave exploring, just a dry cave, even quite dangerous, right? Especially right. if you don't have a map. If you do have a map and you know, you know where where things go, then you can feel a lot more confident in that process. Oh, look at this! Yeah. I'm, just in, I'm just in the Upadana here. It's just a, it's just this part of the score. It's just this part of the map. All we gotta do is uh, follow the map. Or just go back. Just go to go. Let's go back. Let's go to the beginning. Start again. Yeah, no, totally. And it's very important to, like, keep it. Like, I think part of Sotopon is realizing that the map exists and you have it in your hand. You don't need to go to a teacher. You don't need to go to this or that, read a book, et cetera. You have it. And I think this is one of the interesting things about that I found with my Dhamma practice is my desire to read books has gone like this. Good. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I used to I read, a read, lot read books books. all my life has been like this. <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, um it's hilarious for me cuz I used to read books all the time. It was, well, like you know, it was a point where I really wanted to read uh That's not true. There's a point where I was really like looking for something. I was like <laughs> I really needed to figure something out how to, you know, fix myself. That was yeah, a lot of books then, but other than that, yeah, got over that one. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know totally. Don't mean to speak too yeah. soon. Yeah, it's it's funny. Sorry, uh, I cut you off. Though, what were you saying about your book? Hmm. You said you're not you're not reading as many books. Um, I'm not. No, I mean I still like to read, but not that much. I used to really love it all the time, and now I just, you know, sometimes, but. But it's because I feel like I already know all of what I need to know, you know. And it's cool to learn new things sometimes. But generally, Maybe you know that you don't need to know, know so much. Piece. You don't. You yeah, don't need I, to know much to be satisfied. That's what one of the fetters, right? That that wise ignorance. That there's a whole bunch of things out there I'm never gonna know, and who cares? <laughs> I don't need it. I can be satisfied without knowing that. That's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. It's like that Suda about the Buddha with um in the forest and he says see all these leaves in the forest this is all the different knowledge that one could have but all you need is just a few leaves to be happy you know (laughs) yeah because when we when we want to know all that stuff when we want to know all those leaves you could think about it kind of as the fear of the unknown right when i was in the woods when i was in the woods and we were doing uh not only the not only a time when we were having to take a hike in the dark, but a time when we were just sitting kind of on this this lake beach type setup and uh it night was falling and you could just see just the overcast. I like after a certain point it was just black in the distance. Just the distance was black. And so Beautiful. that fear of the unknown was was there. Um and so I wasn't able to know that territory anymore. 
you know, with my eyes. And so right. I guess that that's somehow that could be somehow related that we could um, be satisfied with not knowing what's in that black. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Black anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I no, promise. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you don't need to know is the thing. Yeah, you really don't because, you know, you can face it whatever it is, you can be okay. Like in one of Damarado's first conversations that I listened to with, with a uh, guru Viking, Steve James, he said that like he could face his own death and be in a really bad situation. He'd be completely fine. You know, and that's the worst thing that could be in the darkness, right? Is, is that, or one of the worst things, maybe all your family dying, that might be worse than your own death, but, <laughs> but in friends and everyone, you know, but, that's pretty unlikely in Washington State and the forest. So much more likely would be your own, right? Well, so, on the topic of uh, not reading books, I remember Don Rado recently had this this little snippet that I that I uh, picked out that I really liked a lot, which is where he kind of he kind of went on this bit of a uh, statement on you're not gonna learn. You know, chemistry isn't necessarily learned in the chemistry book. It's learned in the lab. Tennis isn't learned in the tennis by reading a tennis book. It's learned on the tennis court. You're not going to learn carpentry or you're not going to read. Don't bang your thumb with the hammer and automatically learn. You know, you're not that's not really going to help you actually not bang your thumb with a hammer um, when you're doing actual carpentry. And then he goes to this kid who's been reading a lot of Dhamma stuff, he goes, and you're not going to learn Dhamma <laughs> by reading Dhamma books. Sorry about that. <laughs> right. I love that clip so much because it reminds me of that, <laughs> this, uh, that TikTok song. It's like, sorry about that, whatever. Uh, um, but <laughs> somebody needs to stream that. You put that, that on the TikTok. It's hilarious. Yeah, Parker should get that on there. Yeah. yeah he should. Oh my God, definitely should. I think I sent it to him already, actually. Um, maybe I'll do it myself, but yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and that's the whole theory versus practice section, you know, and what's interesting about that relationship is sometimes theory can really inform practice, you know, like, for example, if I'm learning, um, let's say it's, you know, how to cook a recipe, right? I'm cooking shepherd's pie. You know, the recipe book is helpful. You know, it's, it's nice to read the recipe. But my shepherd's pie will be best when I no longer need the recipe book, right? And so sometimes the theory or the book can give you a little bit of a start. And a YouTube video is actually similar. You know, what I think makes Don Murata's videos very helpful is that they're very relevant to, like, the concerns of a specific individual that lives in our society at this present moment. And it's, like, very I think they're wholly different in a way, in a significant I, I think, way. Well, it's still media, right? It's not interactive. Like what we're doing right now is interactive. So the interactive stuff, actually talking with him, is always going to be better than any video, you know. But it's still well, not only media. that, but also in the video, he's able to. I don't really think you're able to do the whole transmission thing if you want to get into that topic through a book. That's kind of difficult. But if you see him on the screen talking to you like this over and over again everything's okay everything i could talk you into a jhana like that you know and you could be watching a video and you could you could get that and that is actually 
uh, a little bit more valuable, then it's kind of more tough to get that out of a book um, or just seeing him, you know, laughing and kind of having that attitude or having that that lion's attitude. You can you can learn, um, I think, a good bit more than from from reading a book. I think there's some some nuance there. Um, and then, of course, if you're the one who is talking to him um, directly, a lot of the times it kind of does feel like I'm talking to Damato directly when I'm listening to another student because the Dama is... I've had that experience, you, you, too. ...ubiquitous you know. like that, you know? It, I mean, he, and you we also, all kind of like, have the same issues. Yes, true. And also, like, one thing I found is kind of funny is... There are certain students who I prefer their videos over others because I find it's like a little more relevant to what I'm interested in. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, yeah, and so it's fun how that works. You know, it's it, it's. I think it's a good good to get. I feel like I enjoy um, a good mix. Like sometimes you get a guy who recently I saw um, like video with Alex. He asked so many questions. And so many great questions. He almost like picks at Domrado so much at so many times, and he and then Domrado is kind of forced in that way to explain the Dama again in so many different angles, and it, that could be one experience. And then there's other videos where Domrado just goes on for you know the entire time, or um, like when I saw recently, which was only like 15 minutes, but he just goes on for 15 minutes, kind of gives the Dama from A to Z really quickly. And I think I saw that one even gives a bit of a, a little, um, it almost starts to feel like a guided meditation, even though it's not, you know, designated as that. And that, you know, in itself is like really nice for me to watch. Cause I, I'm like watching that. I'm like, Oh, this is really nice. I feel in a good state <laughs> watching that. Um, nice. And was that, so, yeah. Oh, was that the one with Parker? No. And he no. asked him about noble speech. I really liked that one about noble speech. Mm, I, I think, I, I think I might've seen that a while back. But this was more recent. Okay, cool. I'll check it out. I like the 15-minute ones. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, different medias are different, right? So there's books and there's... So it's kind of like comparing a book to a film. Because his videos are kind of like film, you know? And books are books, right? And I think it does depend on the person to some extent, like what is more effective, Right. Um, you know, cause like some people really like to read, other people really like to listen to music. Other people really like to watch film. Some people really like social media, like the different media types have different kind of effects depending on what you like, you know, and what like suits your, you know, nervous system best, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like I think one thing I always liked about books was they require a certain level of engagement, you know, cause, uh, film you know, is, is kind of a passive experience where you're just sitting and watching. But if you're reading something, you have to like construct it in your mind, whatever it is you're reading. So, um, so if I read at bedtime or if I watch TV, I'll, I'll often fall asleep, you know, <laughs> but, um, but that's because I think with books, I fall asleep faster because I have to work my brain a little more. And so I tire myself out, you know, which is interesting, but I think his videos are great because they feel so relevant to our issues at this present moment in time, right? So I feel like it has more to do. I, I think it's that's not so what I would say is that understanding the components or maybe the instructions, I could maybe write down for you 
what to do in a couple of sentences and we call that the book right right now we're actually practicing and we're actually practicing i might have questions or i might be in a certain state wherein going back to the instructions might not necessarily have um the same effect side of cheerleading enthusiasm and pep talk that you'll get from a Domrado video and that's i think that that's and, and that speeds into the actual components of the practice because you're talking about repetition you're talking about um enthusiasm and you're getting uh direct experience so to speak of of uh you know satisfaction and what it means to be satisfied again sure. and again yeah. and again you know in the video so i would say that it depends on the book and it depends on how skilled the, the author is right and it depends and this goes for any medium right you know like a Jimi hendrix song is going to be better than like a newspaper cartoon about so and so unless maybe it's calvin and hobbes because those are really cool but <laughs> those are some good ones there um but anyway you know, so like, you know, for example, one of my favorite uh, writers, this guy, Nassim Taleb, he was a former Wall Street tra trader that became like a professor and philosopher. And one thing he said is that, and he's written a bunch of books, is that every book is just the same idea repeated in an endless number of ways. <laughs> so, so really good books often have that element of repetition, but they're just going through all the different scenarios. Like there is one you would really like, actually, it's called I am that by Nisargadot Maharaj. I think it'd be a good question for you to ask Damrado. Can a book transmit the Dhamma as well as speaking to Damrado or watching his videos? I it, it's a good, so I think speaking with him, no, because it's the direct relationship. But the video, I would yeah, say. Yeah, but in uh, that case, basically, I mean, let's say I had a question for Damrado. And it was the same question that another student has. And he asked the same exact question. Like, what's the difference? Um, the difference is you can interject or you can add additional commentary, additional details, yeah. you know, and then it's, it's also part it's of more, the it's more broader, dynamic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's part of the broader conversation you're having with him because you're I not just having that effect. one conversation. This is part of all the different conversations. So there's stuff he can, can make connections to and draw from. And his answer to you will be a little bit different than it is to the other student, you know, and more tailored to you. You know, like like I love to write Sandra poems. Right. And, you know, my poems to her are going to be better than just a generic poem I wrote because it's to her. Right. So it, it's like you change, even if the ideas might be similar, right. you know. Exactly. It, yeah. And so I fully agree um, with that. So I, I would say that I think, you know, right now, maybe that may the subject to change, but obviously everything's subject to change uh, <laughs> that. You can get an approximation up to the real thing, right? You can you can get really, or maybe you can't even get to the real thing because the real dhamma can't even be spoken, right? So it's it's all on a it's all on a gradient, it's all on a spectrum, um, and I and, and and talking to the teacher, is we talk about friendship. I mean, I guess you could become really good friends with the book. You could sleep with it at night and pet it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, there, I think there's a gradient there.
Yeah, I mean, and I think it really does depend on the person and, like, how they're oriented, right? Like, I'm going to read you a little bit from this book um, uh, called I Am That, which is a series of dialogues uh, with this great master. And you're going to like it. I'm going to read you just one of the dialogues. So here, th this is one is called The Living Present. So the, the master's name is Nisargadat Maharaj. And so he's just called Maharaj in this. So questioner, as I can see, there is nothing wrong with my body nor with my real being. Both are not of my making and need not be improved upon. What has gone wrong is the inner body. Call it mind, consciousness, antikarana, whatever the name. Maharaj, what do you consider to be wrong with your mind? Questioner, it is restless, greedy of the pleasant and afraid of the unpleasant. Maharaj, what is wrong with it seeking the pleasant and shirking the unpleasant? Between the banks of pain and pleasure, the river of life flows. It is only when the mind refuses to flow with life and gets stuck at the banks that it becomes a problem. By flowing with life, I mean acceptance, letting come what comes and go what goes. Desire not, fear not, observe the actual as and when it happens, for you are not what happens, you are to whom it happens. Ultimately, even the observer you are not. You are the ultimate potentiality of which the all-embracing consciousness is the manifestation and expression. Questioner. Yet, between the body and the self, there lies a cloud of thoughts and feelings which neither serve the body nor the self. These thoughts and feelings are flimsy, transient, and meaningless, mere mental dust that blinds and chokes, yet they are there, obscuring and destroying. Maharaj. Surely, the memory of an event cannot pass for the event itself, nor can the anticipation there is something exceptional, unique about the present event, which the previous or the coming do not have. There is a livingness about it, an actuality. It stands out as if illuminated. There is the stamp of reality on the actual, which the past and the future do not have. Questioner. What gives the present that stamp of reality? Maharaj. There is nothing peculiar in the present event to make it different from the past and future. For a moment, the past was actual, and the future will become so. What makes the present so different? Obviously, my presence. I am real, for I am always now, in the present, and what is with me now shares in my reality. The past is in memory, the future in imagination. There is nothing in the present event itself that makes it stand out as real. It may be some simple, periodical occurrence like the striking of the clock. In spite of our knowing that the successive strokes are identical, the present stroke is quite different from the previous one and the next, as remembered or expected. A thing focused in the now is with me, for I am ever present. Are you reading the whole book today, Robert? Yeah, yeah sure. So that I am present event. Okay, I think I've made my point. This kind of goes on. This goes on another page, though. If you want to. Very read. nice. I like your book, Eric. I, I'm Robert. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm almost done. I'm almost done here. Okay. So, um, questioner. Sir, grab. Oh. Uh, okay, wait. I'm almost done. Just... Real quick. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Thanks. Okay. Questioner. But we deal with things remembered as if they were real. Maharaj. Uh, we consider memories only when they come into the present. The forgotten is not counted until one is reminded. 
which implies bringing into the now. Questioner. Yes, I can see there is in the now some unknown factor that gives momentary reality to the transient actuality. Maharaj, you need not say it is unknown, for you see it in constant operation. Since you were born, has it ever changed? Things and thoughts have been changing all the time, but the feeling that what is now is real has never changed, even in dream. Questioner, in deep sleep there is no experience of the present reality. Maharaj, the blankness of deep sleep is due entirely to the lack of specific memories, but a general memory of well-being is there. There is a difference in feeling when we say, I was deeply asleep from I was absent. The questioner, we shall repeat the question we began with. Between life's source and life's expression, which is the body, there is the mind and its ever-changeful states. The stream of mental states is endless, meaningless, and painful. Pain is the constant factor. What we call pleasure is but a gap, an interval between two painful states. Desire and fear are the weft and warp of the living, and both are made of pain. Our question is, can there be a happy mind? Maharaj, desire is the memory of pleasure, and fear is the memory of, of pain. Both make the mind restless. Moments of pleasure are merely gaps in the stream of pain. How can the mind be happy? Questioner, that is true when we desire pleasure or expect pain, but there are moments of unexpected, unanticipated joy. Pure joy, uncontaminated by desire, unsought, undeserved, God-given. Maharaj. Still, joy is joy only against the background of pain. Questioner. Is pain a cosmic fact or purely mental? Maharaj. The universe is complete, and where there is completeness and where nothing lacks, what can give pain? The questioner. We're almost done here. The... The universe may be complete as a whole, but incomplete in details. Maharaj, the part of the whole seen in relation to the whole is also complete. Only when seen in isolation, it becomes deficient and thus a seat of pain. What makes for isolation? Questioner, limitations of the mind, of course. The mind cannot see the whole for the part. Maharaj, good enough. The mind by its very nature divides and opposes. Can there be some other mind which unites and harmonizes? which sees the whole in the part, and the part is totally related to the whole? Questioner. The other mind, where to look for it? Maharaj. In the going beyond the limiting, dividing, and opposing mind, and ending the mental process as we know it, when this comes to an end, that mind is born. Questioner. In that mind, the problem of joy and sorrow exists no longer? Maharaj. Not as we know them, the desirable or repugnant. It becomes rather a question of love, seeking expression, meeting with obstacles. The inclusive mind is love in action, battling against circumstances, initially frustrated, ultimately victorious. Questioner, between the spirit and the body, is it love that pr provides the bridge? Maharaj, what else? Mind creates the abyss, the heart crosses it. There's my soliloquy there. I didn't well, think it was going to be there. that long. Stop there, let's keep going, baby. <laughs> yeah, that was the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> Story time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to get you to read to me. I'm just kidding. Uh, no. So that's wonderful, man. I, I love uh, checking out the suttas. Or that, what was yeah. that? What book was that? It's called I Am That. I'm going to send it to you right now. It's a great oh, okay. book. I probably won't read yeah. it. But... Yeah. It was just, a, I just picked it to a random page. And the whole book is like this. Like I just chose a completely random section. I don't read books. Oh, yeah. Good, <laughs> Good on you. <laughs>
That's one of my attachments. <laughs> Kinda, sometimes, not real. But um, yeah, no, it's fun. I feel like, you know, like one thing I do like about this book is it's also that question answer format, you know, and it's written like a dialogue, like Plato's dialogues, you know, so there's lots of different formats, lots of different writers, different styles. And I'm writing a book. I'm actually writing two books. So this is partly why I am. I like books because I'm doing. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think if it's good writing, you know, if the message is good and it's well-crafted, it doesn't matter the medium. And I think for certain audiences, certain mediums are better, you know, um, like for example, I prefer the YouTube on two X to one X. For me, it's a better medium. I don't know. Do you like to listen on 1.5 or two? Uh, if I want to get it over with, yeah. if I want to savor some uh, some content, maybe we could slow it down a bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. She likes the one X, um, and I like to just get all the main points, you know, and just learn, you know, watch the whole thing. So, yeah, that's kind of my approach. But, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm I, watching... Uh, you know, how, how, how to, how to clean a, a really dirty toilet. Maybe I'll speed through that. Um, oh, that's a great topic. To the Dhamma then. Yeah, it is a good topic. Uh, it's very calcium tends to build up and things like that. If you don't do it frequently. FYI. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Good to know. It can be quite difficult to clean. Oh, wow. Especially, and then that that could be one of the one of the, one of the focal points when you're when you're moving out, and you want to make it look nice to get that security deposit back, you know. But anyways, that's very wholesome information. No, it's it's always good to know how to clean things out, you know. Exactly. Yeah, like like getting an anima. You mean an enema? An enema. Yeah. Cleans it out. I don't have any experience with that, but so, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't either, but it's good to know, you know, in case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, Eric, how are you doing? You there? Eric, you, you've been summoned. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to chat with Eric a little bit and then we'll cut this off at one and a half hours. We're at one hour 20. So hey, let's hear Eric's nominee. Eric, you, you got, got five here. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, the, the floor is yours. How's it going? Good. It's so good to see you in sunny, yeah, sunny Seattle, Washington. Yeah, it's nice here. I mean, it's snowy and cold, but it's nice. Eric sits like this all the time. Is it snowy? Nice. Like a true monk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real Dama dude right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's snowy, but it's not snowing. Really? Yeah, so there's snow everywhere, but it's not snowing. I can show you out the window, maybe. Let me try. Yeah, are, are you uh, in... Uh, oh, you're in Seattle. Yeah, South Lake Union. Hey. We're going out to the island next yeah. week, so... Yeah, we're pretty excited to go out there. With the pups. The pups are going to love it. 
you know. That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Nice Buddha yeah. Rupa back there. Yeah, I know. I got this. I think I got it in New York. Um, I really like it. So I have this, and I have a, I have some mala beads. And a picture of the Dalai Lama. They're at my mom's house. The mala beads and the Dalai Lama. And this is here. And he's smiling. He's got a big, joyful smile on his face. That's why um, that's why I have it. It just makes you smile when you see it, you know. How do I flip the camera? I'm trying to flip the camera. How are you guys there? Yeah. Oh. Oh, nice. Wait, no. Can you see me? Right. Yeah, I can What's see happening? you. Now you can see me, but we screwed it up. There we go. There you go. Oh, nice. That's awesome. That's the, uh, that's the Buddha Rupa there for us. Very cool. That's awesome. How grand. We should get one of those. Little, little tapestry. Hey, let me show Sandra. Can you show us it again, please? Yeah. Oh. Sandra, how would you like to get one of these? All right, great. We're going to do it. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, Eric, you have any Dhamma to share with us? Like any reflections on our conversation? Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it right there. That's all you need. This yep. this was a great success, uh, Robert. I think I yeah. think this could be episode one. I think so. Yeah, so we'll turn it into we'll turn it into a podcast, and we could also put it in the Dama Dudes YouTube channel. I think that would be cool. Yeah, we'll share it huh? in the uh, the Skype too here with all the sangha. Yeah, let's do Sorry it. On Skype. What was that? It's already, we're going to get the video yeah, right immediately, yeah. so. Yeah, we'll just share it to the Sangha and the Sangha US, too. And, um, oh, we yeah. Got that coming up. Oh, wow. It's going to be a back-to-back. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Marathon. Woo! I, we're supposed to go out with some of my friends in like an hour. So, oh, wow, that feels really soon, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, so are we going to try and make the 6 p.m.? Um, maybe we'll be a little bit late. We'll be on there. Doesn't matter. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, great to see you guys. Cheers. This is awesome. So good to see you. See you good both. To see you. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk again. Robert. Soon. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy the holiday of your day, man. Peace. Thank you. You too. Happy New Year, guys. Cheers. Happy New Year. <laughs>